Crime Sound listeners, we're your hosts, Ashley and Ricky, and we're here today with another true crime episode that we both put together and hosted just for you in the form of a crime salad. Today's episode is based off the case of Valerie Reyes. We'd like to credit our sources, which include Greenwich Times, The Journal News, and The New York Times. Thanks for your love and support for Crime Salad. Valerie Reyes was a beautiful 24-year-old girl living in a small apartment, which was actually the basement of a house in Rochelle, New York. She worked at Barnes & Noble at the Vernon Hill Shopping Center in East Chester for three years. Her co-workers loved her for how charming she was and how hard of a worker she was. When it came to work, she lived by a phrase her mother used to say, When you're at work, you work. According to her mother, she said she had a soul of an artist and the work ethic of a CEO. She loved art and used it as a coping mechanism for her intense anxiety and depression. She often drew portraits of her friends and had plans to become a tattoo artist like her brother. Other than art, she enjoyed going on walks around Beachmont Lake and taking hikes on nature trails and was all around just a very sweet and caring girl. Valerie had a relationship with a guy she met online named Javier da Silva. However, it was known around this time he was her ex-boyfriend, in which an article we came across claims they have been broken up for about a year now. Javier worked at a coffee shop. He was living in Flushing, New York in a condo. He grew up in Venezuela with a Portuguese citizenship. He entered the United States in May 2017 to attend college and overstayed his visa and ended up staying in the U.S. illegally after his visa expired. And we'll get to the reason why he is still in the U.S. in just a moment. One night on January 27th, the phone rings at Valerie's mom's house, and it's Valerie. She tells her mom that she's feeling uneasy being at her apartment alone and is worried that she could be in danger. Her mom asked her if something was wrong or if someone made threats towards her, but Valerie assures her that there was nothing to worry about, nothing specific happened. But Valerie did have an ex-boyfriend, so her mom asked her if she was afraid of Javier doing something or attacking her. But again, she assured her mom that it wasn't Javier, nothing was going on or anything specific. She even told her mom that she feels safer when he's around. She was just worried that she could end up like some of the women she hears about on the news. I think she eventually told Valerie to calm down, try to relax. She wasn't in any danger. So Valerie then took her advice. She was trying to calm down. She went to go get something to eat. Later, she texted her mom saying that she was feeling better and she was going to go to bed. So after her mom kind of relaxed a bit, she knew Valerie had really bad anxiety and suffered from panic attacks often. So this whole thing was probably just overthinking a situation and just freaking herself out. But honestly, we still don't really know what was actually bothering Valerie. Like, was this an actual threat? 
Or is this something weird, like a weird premonition thing? We're not very sure. But we do know that this was a big enough deal that she actually reached out to her mom and spoke about it and also her best friend, Jeffrey Anderson. So this was something that was bothering her for more than just a few hours. And what you'll realize is this part of the story where she reaches out to her mom is so heartbreaking because this was the last time Valerie's mom spoke to her. Valerie and her mom were supposed to get together on January 29th to go to Home Depot, but she wasn't able to get a hold of her at all. She wasn't answering any of her calls or any of her texts, so she didn't think much about it. She went on with her day, just assumed maybe she needed some extra sleep, just some time alone, so she just went on with her day. She probably just expected she'd call her later and explain what happened, but she never did. The next day, Valerie's mom knew something was wrong. This just wasn't like her at all. Valerie's mom then reached out to Jeffrey Anderson, Valerie's best friend, and he told her that Valerie also spoke to him about her fear of being attacked Monday night. He tried to comfort her before getting off the phone around 10.30 p.m. He also told Valerie's mom that Valerie left sometime Tuesday from her apartment, took her iPhone, her iPad, clothes, and bed sheets. But where on earth was she going? No one had any idea. The next day, she never showed up for work. It was now January 30th, and she was officially reported missing by police. Flyers with her pictures were posted all over New York City, Friends and family were using social media to spread the word that Valerie is missing. Her mom was worried, just like any mother would be, but still hoping and holding on to the idea that maybe she was just trying to isolate herself and hoping that she'll just come home soon. But could she be in trouble? She was last seen wearing a green coat, black jeans, and she was spotted by a friend who reported seeing her at the New Rochelle station and police were able to find security footage at a Chase ATM in New York City by Radio City Music Hall at 6.30 a.m. on January 30th. And police kept searching, pulling any security footage that they could find, and her family kept reaching out on social media for any help at all. The police also posted a picture of her along with the description, noting that she suffers from severe anxiety and depression. And at this point, I can't even imagine how her family felt wondering if she's okay as they went through many sleepless nights searching for Valerie. Yeah, this would truly be a nightmare for the family. So days go on as they continue the search. And just about a week goes by. And on February 5th, about 13 miles away from Valerie's apartment and along the roadside in Greenwich, Connecticut, It was lined with snow-covered trees. And about 15 feet from the road, a city worker came across a bright red-colored full-size suitcase. He walks over to it, and he must have been thinking, how odd is it that a large suitcase would be sitting in the woods like this? He leans over and opens it. He finds the body of a girl. She was barefoot, wearing an unbuttoned shirt and jeans. Could you imagine the shock in coming across something like this? No, I really can't imagine. And 
you know, I have never been in this situation before and I hope I never do, but I feel like this would be so traumatizing. Now, if you came across a, this body in the suitcase, what would you do? Like, what would your first instinct be? You know, I really have no idea. I mean, obviously my first instinct would be to call the police for sure. But what this guy actually does is he takes a picture of the body that was stuffed in the suitcase. And the phone that he was using was actually his company's phone. I mean, we're assuming that he did call the police. However, him taking the picture on his work phone, eventually it just led to him being put on to paid leave. So I'm not really sure if he was taking this picture for himself or for pleasure, or if this was, you know, something he planned to give the police. And I'm not sure they even knew either. But, you know, I think the right move as a company just to be safe was to put him on leave. So the police finally approach the crime scene, and a number of red and blue lights pull up near the road. The red suitcase sticks out immediately in the wooded area. Police begin to document that the unnamed girl had bruises on her face, her hands were tied behind her back, and her ankles and knees were bound, with what looked to be twine and packaging tape. So who did this? We're going to take a quick break here to tell you about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online service that I personally use for my mental health. They provide a number of professional licensed counselors who specialize in all situations that may be interfering with your happiness. It's seriously my personal outlet to get my mind right. It's affordable. It's so convenient. I decided to give BetterHelp a shot when I was going through a very anxious part of my life. So I just signed up and I was matched with an amazing counselor who was so willing to talk with me right away. We actually set up a video chat later in the week to catch up. We are all so busy. Give yourself the care that you need today. Start living a happier life. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash crime salad. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash crime salad. After forensics testing, the body was identified as Valerie Reyes. Her body was dumped in the wooded area just about 14 miles away from her apartment. And it wasn't like the suitcase was hidden or, you know, it was in a place that no one could see. This was slightly off the road. It was only just a matter of time until someone would come across it. After the body was identified, family gathered expressing their loss. It was hard to imagine a young, sweet, innocent girl was murdered. At the vigil, her mother said, My daughter did not deserve whatever you did to her. My daughter was pure. Sooner or later, you will get caught. I know it. After the vigil, a full-on investigation started. Valerie's apartment was searched, looking for anything they could find relating to who killed her. Local security cameras were checked. People who she associated with were interviewed. An anonymous hotline was created for any tips to come in, leading to any information, anything suspicious at all that could lead investigators to the killer. So soon the police had a lead in this case. It was a man who was last seen using an ATM. 
The ATM caught security footage at around 5 a.m. in New Rochelle on January 29th. But what makes this person a huge suspect in this case was that he was using Valerie's debit card, withdrawing around $1,000, a huge clue, and this immediately pointed the investigators in the right direction. And what also helped with their investigation was what the ATM security footage caught. Behind the man who was withdrawing the funds from the ATM was a black Honda CRV parked behind him. And with further investigation, they were able to find the license plate number on the car, led them to find that this was a rental car and it was rented by a very familiar name. It was Javier, Valerie's ex-boyfriend. So if she was reported missing just the very next day, what was he doing withdrawing that much money out of her account? And it makes me go back to the call with her mom. Was she really scared of Javier? And was she in trouble or was there abuse or threats? He then sits with investigators and breaks down crying. We don't know if this is an act or if this is real. He might just be crying because he got caught and he knows that there's no way getting out of this. But he says over and over that he's sorry about two dozen times and that he doesn't even know what actually happened. He explains that he went to her apartment while they were having rough sex when they both fell onto the floor, accidentally cracking her head open. And when she wasn't responsive at all, he didn't know what to do. So he placed tape over her mouth, bound her legs and ankles and hands and stuffed her into a suitcase. He explained that he drove around a bit in a rented car, didn't know where to go, and ended up dumping the suitcase with Valerie's body inside in the wooded area. He also mentions that he actually wanted to be caught. So this part kind of makes sense. Like him saying that he panicked, you know, maybe it was an accident. You know, I'm not saying that like his story makes sense, like, you know, the rough sex and hitting her head. But maybe they did get into an actual argument, something physical, you know, he kind of snapped. And then next thing he knows, she's like on the ground and she's not breathing, you know. So, I mean, that part kind of makes sense. Like maybe he did panic and, you know, he threw her in that suitcase as fast as he could. He put her in the rental car. And I guess it would also kind of make sense because... If you remember back to where the suitcase was, it was only about like 15 feet, you know, from the side of the road. You know, there wasn't like this this master plan where, you know, he did everything perfect and, you know, checked all these things off his list at a place for the body that no one would ever find. Like, you know, he kind of just threw her out there. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And like he said in his interview, he said that he wanted to get caught, but... Is this just like a cover-up? I, I don't know. I'm having a hard time with this. Like maybe it could have been an accident where he just panicked, didn't know what to do, dumped the body, got out of there fast. But but why the duct tape? Like why did he like bound her arms and her legs? Like why cover her mouth? It's just like creepy. It's just disturbing. I feel like he could have called the police or, you know, did something, I guess, different. Could he have just been afraid to report the incident, being that he was not a U.S. citizen? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, a lot of people would probably say, like, why didn't he just call the police? 
And, you know, that was like my original question is, why would you go through all of this? You could call the police and tell the truth. And, you know, there's going to be consequences, but they're going to be a lot different than what he's going to go through now. But yeah, that's a good point. I mean, he was there illegally at this point. Like he came on a visa to attend school. But as we know from, you know, at the beginning of the story, he overstayed his welcome. So technically he was illegal. So legal or not, he's a murderer. And the next thing for investigators was to perform an autopsy to find the cause of death. How Valerie died was confirmed by the Office of Chief Medical Examiner, which ruled her death as a homicidal asphyxia. She died from lack of oxygen. And it's frightening to think she could have still been alive in that suitcase when it was tossed in the wooded area unable to move. What a sick individual to do this to her. In an interesting article that we came across, it spoke about a retired detective who mentions that it is possible Valerie may have been unconscious before she was placed in that suitcase and maybe Javier thought she was dead or maybe he strangled her and then placed her in the suitcase which could cause something he mentioned called positional asphyxiation, being that maybe she was placed in a way that suffocated her. And from his professional point of view, and looking at everything from this crime, it seems like he just panicked and didn't know what to do. But it still doesn't go against the fact that he did murder her and committed this horrible crime. Javier was soon arrested on February 12th, the day after Valerie's funeral. He was charged in federal court with kidnapping and murdering Valerie at no bail. And being the serious nature of this case, he may even face the death penalty. Since then, the trial has now been extended six times to give some time for a plea bargain. And being that he is in the U.S. with an expired visa, he will be immediately removed from the U.S. when he is released from criminal custody. He's expected to go to court on September 25th of this year. And if you're listening to this today, on September 19th, that's just next week. Any information that we find will be sure to post on our Facebook discussion group. But if you guys come across it first, you're welcome to post any information at all and we will also be posting pictures of valerie and what we came across about this crime on our website at crimesaladpodcast.com and as always if you would like to help support crime salad write us a five-star review on apple podcast or wherever you're listening to us now to help other listeners find us this really helps us move up in the charts so that other listeners can get their hands on crime salad Remember to also follow us on Instagram and thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Crime Salad is a true crime podcast delivering a healthy portion of crime. Crime Salad is a weird salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All the blood, love, all the pain.